one of the things um, that we felt was was really important in our marriage was the point where we said to each other that there is no um, barrier, that we basically gave each other the right to step into any area of each other's lives. That was the one thing. And the other thing that um, we said to each other was that at no point, however bad a row may be, however tough things may get, separating is not an option. That's it. So we have God, we have every, you know, we have every way of holding things together. And that's, you know, actually ending up apart is not an option. So those two things were important. Other really important thing is if you're looking to get married and or you are married is it's not going to be easy all the time we look, spend our time watching a lot of TV and a lot, watching a lot of films and it's all happy endings and all the rest of it marriage is hard work and you have to spend time working at it so spend time working at it put aside time for you especially if you've got kids it can be so easy that we spend our time we're at work we come home we're with the kids but you need to spend time as husband and wife, man and woman, on your own, building that time together. Because that is where it was at the beginning. And for those of you who are looking to get married, you've probably spent 20 years living as an individual, 25 years living as an individual. You decide you've met the person you want to share your life with and you come together. You've now got to give up bits of your individualism. Because God's taken two individuals and going to mold you together to be one new person. And he's going to rub the edges off both of you. And the first thing I noticed when we got together was there is somebody else in your space. Because you can go out and you can see each other, but you go home and you're on your own. When you're married, you see each other, but you're still together. So allow for those difficulties. And a real blessing is to have people you can talk with, either together or individually, where you can share these difficulties. So much time we feel isolated. You get married, it's all wonderful, and you think, who can I go and talk and nobody else is having these difficulties because when I come to church on Sunday, everybody looks so happy and so with it and you're cracking up inside. Everybody's been through it. So tip is, get people around you from the beginning who know you, really know you and you can trust. And therefore when things get rough, you can just go and share it. Sometimes God uses, and a lot of the time God would use the difficulties to actually enhance your marriage and make it stronger. He's done it with us. He's taken us through the mill. We're now stronger together than we were before because he's made us look at bits within us and he's then used that to strengthen us. And we have a better marriage. Our marriage is getting stronger and stronger and we know each other better and we know ourselves better than we did when we first got married. It's a growing process. I think as well, um, it's getting God's view of marriage. If you listen to the world and, and you read the magazines and all of that, then they say, you fall in love, you have a great few years, it wears off and then you either split up or whatever else. But it, it doesn't have a positive view, it just has a positive view of the first part. Whereas to us, God's view is that actually the first few years can be tough <laughs> because you're learning so much. and. Um, that's when you need the support of your church and the people around you. But as you get older, actually your marriage improves. Marriage gets better. It doesn't get worse. It doesn't, it shouldn't go into some mundane, boring relationship. It should get better and better and improve. And 
and and again be a place where you have fun where you enjoy times together yeah yeah just get god's view of, of marriage which is that it it grows and improves not wears out <laughs> oh no again marriage was god's idea and he designed us to be together and it really is a blessing and if you look back if you've been married for a while you look back to the ups and downs but you are growing you're growing as a person God wants to be in the middle of your marriage so keep him there so you need to pray together you need to talk together communication again and again comes back Mm -hmm. into it it's so easy in this life to be busy 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 and all of a sudden you realise who am I with regularly put time together I know listening to Mark Driscoll when he came to the conference I think he spends a day they have a date night with his wife every Friday night and he spends time with his kids they're a priority you're never too busy the children the family you've got are what is so important and it's from there you do your work if at home you are feeling uncomfortable you're feeling undervalued and things aren't good it will affect your work it affects everything you are and everything you do well done, Bob and Ross. Who knows Bob and Ross? Yeah, a great couple in the church. They're involved uh, with marriage ministry in the church. So if, and we've got a number of things. Just so you know, if you're visiting, we've been going through a whole lot of things on Sunday evenings. Uh, we looked at uh, dating. We looked at being the bre- be- best. No, I'm not thinking that, okay. <laughs> Being the best single person you can be, instead of w- worrying about why I'm a single, just work on you, all right? We talked about that, and then we talked about the birds and the bees. That was the breast talk <laughs> of all. <laughs> sorry, sorry, did I say, okay. And we, we looked, because the fact is most people have heard the birds and the bees in the, in the playgrounds, and it probably wasn't that accurate. <laughs> So how about hearing it in church, right? I I reckon that's where you're going to get the real thing. So we had a look at the birds and the bees and how exciting sex can be and how creative it can be. And uh, then last week we looked at fleeing immorality and the dangers of immorality and how it looks so seductively interesting on the surface, but behind it is such a dangerous, dangerous trap that would entrap any human being that goes there. So we want to encourage good relationships in the church and Uh, So we've been teaching in this, but we also got a marriage ministry in the church. We have marriage preparation courses. You know, more people typically, you have 20 lessons to do, you get your driving test, but when it comes to marriage, you just turn up. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's slightly more important than your driver's license, all right? I don't know if you'd figure that one. Lesson number one tonight, marriage is more important than your driver's license, all right? But but how many people know it's prudent to get a bit of advice and some wisdom, and I think in our pride we say we know it all. Who are you to tell me? But actually the humble person, the wise person says, please some advice, thank you. And so we've got marriage preparation. We have that in two ways. Our, our counselor, Roddy, he, he takes people through a, a, an analysis and they look at potential differences between the couples and they work them through. And then Graham and Kat take them through biblical foundations for a marriage to prepare them for marriage. Also, Bob and Ross, I suddenly realize you guys are here. Good to see you. That You're famous. Get their autographs afterwards, there so the guys on, on the screen. Uh, Bob and Roz uh, also work with couples who are married to provide support and backup when necessary. So, no stigma, it's all good to get help. 
but also if you've missed any of the, the last the last few weeks, you can go online and you can download the teaching. It's all available for free. The MP3s are there. You can download them and have a listen. And if you've got any questions on it, feel free to email us or any concerns or any disagreements, you can email us and let us know. A few things I want to recommend before I get going today. We've deliberately, we don't usually have a bookshop uh, in the cafe, but what we've done over this last few, few weeks is put a few specific books that I thought would be very helpful. Here's one uh, called Love and Respect that I want to plug tonight. It talks about the needs of men and of women. Brilliant. Really good book. Here's another classic, The Five Love Languages. Who's, who's read The Five Love Languages? Great. For the rest of you, I would really highly recommend this. We've only got maybe seven or copies or something in the cafe. If you can, if, if, if we sell out, go up to Wesley Own or order Amazon or whatever. These are great books. And here's a good book following on from our teaching on sex for the last couple of weeks, uh, The Act of Marriage by Tim and Beverly LaHaye. And it's, it's a very explicit, very open book. It tackles a lot of stuff, but it tackles it not without being crass. And it also doesn't tackle it from a take mentality, a lust-getting mentality. It tackles it from a love, a giving, being a blessing mentality. So it's, it, like, the world's emphasis on sex is, how much pleasure can I get out of this experience? God's emphasis is, sure, enjoy it, but see how much love you can give. And when you think about giving, then you never lack enjoyment. Anyway, so that's them. You can get them available at the back uh, at the end of the service. Whether you're married or single tonight, hopefully this will help you. If you're not married yet, it might prepare you for being married. If you are married, please, uh, I'm, I'm 10 years married. I'm not, the, many of you will have other tips and have a lot more wisdom in this area than I do. I fully acknowledge that. However, I'm going to share some things from the Bible that I'm sure will nevertheless help. Can I ask, how many of you here are married? Okay. How many of you here are single and want to be married by the end of the month? <laughs> oh, yeah. Let, oh, no, I've left it upstairs. <laughs> it's funny. Hey, someone up there, do me a favor, Mike. Run up to my room and you'll find a little trick on my table, a little yellow thing in a cellophane wrapper. Go run. Go, go. I, I got this thing in a Christmas cracker. It's hysterical. It's one of those tricks where you've got the little cups. Yeah? And it, it, it's a magic trick. You put something in the little cups and you, you shunt them around and then you, voila, it's gone. It's so funny. So it, it's, it's amazing. So I, I, got, I got this and I thought, yeah, at last I can figure out how to do this. Uh, so I got, got this little, these yellow cups, and I, I got the instructions out, and it says, place the yellow cups on a flat surface. Place them down the flat surface. Put the little object under one of the yellow cups. Put the little object under one of the yellow cups. It says, shuffle round the yellow cups. So you shuffle round the yellow cups. And then it says, remove the little object as if by magic. <laughs> That's the bit I want you to tell me. <laughs> Move the. Alright? And show them where it's not there, right? And it's just a wee, wee diagram of how it's hidden in your hands. You got it there, Mike? What's that? Ah, that's it, yeah, throw it. Yay! Here we have it. 
It's not very impressive, actually, wasn't it? There's a little thing. So you put it under here. Are you ready? You're going to be impressed at this. Here's the instructions. No cheating. There we are. Place the sponge under one of the cups. Place all the cups on a flat surface that isn't see-through. Whilst moving the cup, say a magic word and secretly remove the sponge. Hide the sponge as shown in the drawing. <laughs> Show the audience that the sponge has vanished. <laughs> hey, 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 gets better. Continue to move the cups and secretly return the sponge. It says, as if by magic. That's what it says. <laughs> Honestly, I thought, I thought there was a lot more to it than this. It's incredible. I think about it. Yeah, very good. But how, how did you do that, right? How did you do that? The whole point is, man, you, you, you think you're going you're gonna to get told, right, the whole point of the whole trick, and it's not even in it. It's rubbish. Sometimes marriage is like that. Sometimes it's, it's like, just do marriage. But how? Just do it. No, no, tell me how. Well, tonight, hopefully, we're going to tell you a bit of the how, all right? I, I find that hysterical. That's really funny. <laughs> As an introduction, let me read this quote to you. The family is the most important single factor in the molding of a human being. It either prepares him to reach for his ultimate destiny and fulfillment, or it cripples and inhibits him from attaining his original potential. When a society disregards its families, it suffers irreparable loss. If it disregards its families long enough, it passes into oblivion like many ancient civilizations passed. We believe in family. Now, I'm aware, right? I'm speaking to an audience of ordinary people. We've all got history. We've all got a past. You know, you may look on at some couples and think, oh, they've got the perfect marriage. No such thing. Bob and Roz, they're, they're divorced people who have been remarried and they've now found the love of their lives. But they've gone through a lot. It's not like they've got this perfect, polished marriage and they've always got it right. You I'm a 15th wife. We, we've all got our brokennesses. We've all got our, our histories. So listen, don't sit here today thinking, you're going to talk about marriage, and that's going to make me feel condemned and guilty because I failed in this area. You're just rubbing it in, right? That's not the point. To be honest, I suspect that's probably not your attitude. Most of you, especially if you've been divorced, you're going to be sitting here thinking, at last, someone is talking about something that would have prevented me going there. You're probably sitting there thinking, I hope everyone's listening. This is exactly what you need to hear. So that, that's the spirit we, 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 we approach this. We do not assume at all that this is some perfect audience who's got it all together. And please don't assume I'm some perfect guy who's got it all together. Far from it. But what we're saying is this. It doesn't stop us from looking at the ideal. It, okay, sure, we've got rough edges. Sure, we haven't always got it right. But it's no excuse for not to go for the best. And family is the best. It was God's idea. In that design, human beings flourish. Not just the kids. The husbands flourish. The wives flourish. And yet it doesn't happen easy. Yet it takes hard graft. But what I'm saying is this. It's worth fighting at. It's worth fighting for. It's worth saying, you know what? That's what we're going for. It's no equivalent. God's ideal. God's design. Do you know, I figure he made us. 
and he knows what's going to work best with us. And marriage was his idea. It's one of the first things you read about in the Bible. We're going through the book of Proverbs, and in Proverbs 18, 22, it says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains a favor from the Lord. I believe that marriage is a blessing from God. God blesses people with a partner. And I, I don't just believe it's a case of you kind of, it, it's all to do with you trying to go out there and find the right person, although you have a part to play. I actually believe, I do believe this, that there is a perfect person for you. There's a perfect person for every human being. And I believe that when you meet that person, it is blessed of God, that God is behind that. God ordained things that, so that you would cross each other's paths. And you know that God is in this. You just know this is right, that you are meant to be with this person. There's just something right about it. So that's, that's a great starting point, to know it's a blessing from God. Tonight I'm going to talk to you about foundations for a great marriage. I'm going to look at a number of foundations that the Bible gives us. And hopefully we can look at our lives and see if these foundations are there. Or maybe we've allowed some to slip that we can reestablish. The first foundation is the foundation of this word called covenant. The foundation of covenant. Let me read you some statistics. Many today, instead of getting married, are opting for cohabitation. Typically the reason for this is because marriage has got such a bad press that people are fearful for going there in case it doesn't work for them. They see that cohabitation is the alternative. In America alone, there's been a 12-fold increase in cohabiting couples. Of the millions of cohabiting couples on this earth, many still believe the enduring myth that cohabitation works as a sort of trial marriage. In reality, cohabitation becomes a trial divorce. Statistically, 45% of cohabiting couples go through a pre-marriage divorce, which is as painful as the real thing. Half of those who make it to the altar, 50% of those are more likely to divorce than those who had lived apart prior to marrying. Cohabitation actually undermines the possibility of you being together with someone for the rest of your life. It's a myth to think, I'll avoid the pain of divorce, so I'll cohabit. You will actually, you're lining yourself up for more pain because the success rate is far, far, far smaller than it would be with a marriage. In the end, as few as 15 of every cohabiting couples will go on into experiencing a lasting marriage. 15 out of every 100. A woman who lives with a man is three times more likely to be physically abused than a married woman, statistically. A cohabiting couple, if a cohabiting couple break up, the woman is 18 times more likely to be harmed than a married woman breaking up. In addition, infidelity with cohabiting men is four times more likely than with married men. And for a woman who's cohabiting, infidelity is eight times higher than for a married woman. These are the statistics. So people think, well, we'll cohabit and we'll avoid the pain of divorce. The reality is, statistically, that is it's a myth. Actually, you're lining yourself up for a lot more pain, statistically. Not that we would wish that on you. The Health of the Nation report carried out in the United Kingdom found the following things. That within five years of the birth of a child, 8% of married couples split up. Within five years of the birth of a child, 
52% of cohabitees split up. And within five years of uh, the birth of a child, 25% of those who were cohabiting but who got married after the child split up. Cohabitation does not, is not a good foundation for a lasting relationship. Here's what I'd say is a good foundation for a lasting relationship. Covenant. This word covenant. You see, marriage is actually a covenant. Covenant is an old word, but it literally means a binding, committed depth of agreement between two people or two parties. In Proverbs 2, it talks about the lady who abandons that covenant, and she, uh, the adulterous lady in, in verse 16 and 17, to deliver you from a strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words and leaves the companion of her youth and forgets her covenant of her God. <clears throat> you see, when you become married, you enter into a covenant, a two-way covenant. It's you and the person you're married, but also it's before God. There's a whole agreement set into motion that actually brings blessing. Marriage is a covenant. Covenant is a lifelong commitment to an imperfect person. It gives you the security in which you can make your mistakes. It doesn't give you the excuse to go make mistakes, but gives you the security in which you can grow as an individual, where you can become someone. Covenant is about you giving yourself to someone else. It's not just about what I can get out of this relationship. Covenant is you saying, I am making a commitment to meeting your needs for the rest of my life. That's weighty. And if you have two people making a commitment to meeting each other's needs for the rest of their lives, you are setting yourself up for a successful marriage. Here are four individuals. Each of them have got troubles, facing different issues, all of them considering splitting up. Wife A. It's gotten to the point where I can't take it anymore. I've got to start thinking of myself. I'm totally unhappy as a wife. Husband B. After 26 years of no affection, I've had it. If just once she would warmly reach over and show interest in me, I would hang in there. I can't face it anymore. Wife C. I just don't feel alive anymore. Somewhere along the line, I died. He thinks the only reason I exist is to sublime with food, sex, and clean shirts. I've got to break out of this coffin. Husband D. I'm not sure why, but life doesn't mean much to me anymore. I love my wife, but not in the way I used to. Everything seems so boring. There's got to be more fun to life than this. We would all agree they're hurting. We'd all agree they're experiencing pain. But what we fail to sometimes notice is the obvious. The obvious thing in each one of these people's lives is that each one of them considered themselves as, and their considerations as more important than the other person. They're consumed with what's going on in their heart and what's going on in their life. The fact is, it takes two to tango. And while we can see the pain and the hurt, if a husband's devoted himself to meeting the needs of his wife and really meeting the needs of the wife, and if the wife really devoted herself to meeting the needs of the husbands, and that is the nature of covenant, then that will work well. Dr. Bud Hinga, professor in a university, talked about marriage not as a 50-50 proposition. This doctor said that if you see marriage as a 50-50 proposition, 
you will always think, okay, I've done my part, now you do your part. That's what you will think. Dr. Bud Hinga instead suggests that marriage should be a 60-40 proposition. In other words, in your mind, you should always expect to go a lot further. And even if, and don't expect 50 or even 60 from them, expect 40 from them. If you, in your mind, don't expect much, but you expect yourself to give much, and that's the other person's mentality as well, then that marriage will be blessed because you will always be topping up the reserves in the other person. Covenant is a commitment to meeting someone else's needs for the rest of your life. And sometimes what happens in marriage is we forget that and we get into the rut of just being married. And we, we, we lose that passion to meet needs. We find that passion outworked in so many other areas. We meet the needs of different things around us, but we fail to meet the needs of the most important person in our life, that spouse that God has blessed us with. Marriage is a covenant. You know what? This word covenant, amazingly, is used in the Bible to describe our relationship potentially with God. Jesus, on the day, the night he was betrayed, <clears throat> he took bread, he broke it, and he took the cup after supper, and he said, this cup represents the blood that I'm going to shed to initiate a new covenant. God's here, God Almighty, creator of everything, took the initiative to set in motion an agreement where you could come into relationship with him. And it's not just like, yeah, I'm God's buddy. It's much more than that. It's not cohabitation. This is covenant. God wants to enter into an agreement with you. Some people think becoming Christians about becoming religious or turning up at church. We've totally missed it. When you're choosing to follow God, you're entering into an agreement with the Almighty. And the Almighty is doing something and you're doing something. When I became a Christian, when I was 15, right, I was a little gadgy, running around, ignoring God. God got a hold of my life and I decided I'm going to stop being a gadgy. What does that mean anyway? I'm going to start following God. And I made a commitment. I said, God, right, here's my life. I'm going to follow you right? Being a Christian doesn't just mean you turn up at church or act religious. It means you give him your life. But do you know what commitment God made to me? God made a commitment equally as I made a commitment to him. He makes this commitment to me and he says, sunshine, I'm obliging myself to meet your needs. I'm covenantally obliging myself, the almighty, to be your God. And just as you have committed yourself to me, I am eternally committed to you. You ever viewed God in that way? That your God is eternally committed to you? To meeting your needs? To being there for you? That's awesome. And sure, we commit to him, but to be honest, he doesn't really need my commitment. I mean, it, it, if you weigh it all up, you know, to be honest, his commitment to me, that's a bit weightier than my commitment to him. It's a bit more impressive. And when Jesus died on that cross, as he shed that blood to seal this agreement it was like he was saying, I do. And when you become a Christian, it's like you saying, okay, I do too. It takes two people to make a commitment. God's already made his commitment. Will you agree to follow him? The ball's in your court. But covenant as a marriage foundation is essential. Next foundation is the foundation of God's order. This is a really popular one. <clears throat> not. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 22 to 25. It's a brilliant one. Ladies, you need to memorize this. 
Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husbands, whoa, is the head of the home. <laughs> Thanks, Liz. Cheers. You can just shove, you can shove them out the back if you want. Oh, you can have that one. It's cool. It's about sex. You'll enjoy it. <laughs> wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. For the husbands is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. His body, of which he is the saviour. If you got past that verse, because you're all laughing and ignored it, great. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives ought to submit to the husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her. Boy. Whoa, that's a powerful passage. Um, one day, a, a guy was in a service like this, and he heard those verses, and he heard the, the pastor share a message on those verses. And it, it, the penny dropped. And he thought, I'm the head of the home. So he went home that night to share his revelation with his wife. And he got home really clear. You know, you know what? Things are going to be different around here from now on. The Bible says, I'm the head of the home. And he shared this whole revelation with her. Right? He didn't see her for about three days. On the third day, he could see us slightly through his right eye. <laughs> fact is, fact, people in the sight of God are equal. Equal. Every human being in the sight of God is equal. Equal rights, deserving of blessing, deserving of equal respect. In the sight of God, that's it. Nevertheless, in the sight of God, we have got different roles. Physically, men and women are different. You ever notice that? Huh? No. Right, physically we're different. Did you know that's the area you see, but emotionally you're different? I mean, who would agree? Completely. Those who didn't put your hands up, what planet do you live on? You're obviously not married. Emotionally, we're totally different. I never figured this until we're married. I mean, I knew we were physically different. That was reaffirmed when I got married. Yeah. But emotionally, I didn't know that one. I didn't know that one. And then I got married. I thought, boy, we're different. We really do think differently about things. We really are differently. People. We are so different. Every, I mean... Emotionally, our internal makeup, everything about us, we're so different. So why would we assume we've got the same rules? Biblically, we don't have the same rules. Biblically, the husband is the head of the home. Now, instantly when I say that, it creates a reaction. Why? Because you're all thinking the Victorian model. You're not thinking the Bible accurately. You're thinking of how the Victorians interpreted the Bible inaccurately. You see, the Victorian model of the husband being the head of the home was he was the dictator. He was the breadwinner. Yeah? He, he, him and his mates would smoke cigars while the wives went to the kitchen and they would ch- talk about important things like politics at the mantelpiece while smoking cigars while the wives went to the kitchen and washed up their dishes and talked about knitting. That was, that was how the head of the home concept was viewed. That the husband was the breadwinner and the wife had to stay at home and make babies. That was the impression people had. Well, that's what that verse means. Nothing to do with that, folks. Nothing to do with that. The Bible in that verse says nothing whatsoever about how you should be, whether you should smoke cigars or not, whether you should have, the wife should have the baby. Well, obviously the wife should have the babies. 
It doesn't say anything about whether the wife can work or whether the wife should stay at home. It doesn't say anything about the husband being the breadwinner. It says nothing about those things. It just simply says these are the rules. Now, do you know what? And here's the other thing. The focus has been on wives submit to the husband. But the verse doesn't stop there. The Bible says wives submit to the husband, but it goes on and says, husbands, love your wife just as what? Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In other words, you know how Jesus gave himself up for the church? It was total. Jesus entirely sacrificed himself on behalf of his church. So husbands, before you go quoting the first bit, go living the second bit. And the fact is, as you live a life where you are laying your life down for your family, for your spouse, as you are totally dedicated to laying your life down, supporting, enriching, enhancing your marriage and your kids, do you know what? It won't be very hard for your wife to follow your lead. She will be impressed enough to say, you know what? You deserve leadership. Because you are a servant-hearted guy. You see, how was Jesus a leader? Jesus' leadership wasn't that he cracked the whip and told them how it was going to be my way or the highway. Jesus' leadership was this. I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life. Jesus led by example. Jesus was a servant-hearted leader. He is our role model for what leadership should be about. He was about empowering others, not overpowering others. He was about enriching the lives of others, not taking from them. And you see, true leadership in the home isn't that you're the dictator. It simply means the buck stops with you. So my mentality is this. If my marriage and my family are suffering, I don't think it's them. I think, what on earth am I doing wrong? Because in my mind, the buck stops here. In my mind, I am responsible before God for my family. I pray for them every day, and I'll do everything I can to make sure that my family is successful. As a husband, as the leader in my home, I am not a dictator. You can ask my wife. And I will make sure she tells you what I want her to tell her. <laughs> I'm not a dictator, genuinely. But you know what? At the end of my life, at the end of their lives, I want them to, I want them to stand before God and say, God, thank you for giving us Pete as my dad. Thank you for giving us Pete as my husband. I want them to say that. I want them to be so glad they married me, my wife. <laughs> I want my kids to be so glad that I was their dad. Why? Because I want to be the kind of leader who blesses my home. I want to be someone, I, I, want to be, I don't want to be a harsh dad. I want to be a loving dad. I want to be a dad who's there for them, who listens. I want to be a, a husband who meets my wife's needs. I want, to be, I want her to be so glad she married me. I don't want her to be thinking, I'll stick it out. But he's really not the guy I hope for. I don't want that. I want to be a good leader. So, yeah, we quote the first bit, wives submit to the husbands. But to be honest, the wives won't have such a problem submitting to the husbands if the husbands get a grip of their lives and lay their lives down like Christ did for his church and demonstrate true leadership. Then you'll deserve the respect. But nevertheless, wives, please do offer the respect anyway. Because sometimes by your disrespect, by your constant criticizing of how he's not being a good husband, it actually cripples him from being the good husband he longs to be. You know, in this verse, it actually, God in this passage gives us such a clear foundation. He not only gives us advice, he actually is summing up the basic needs of men and women. <clears throat> in this passage, it's very clear. The husbands, guys, need respect. It means the world to me if I know my wife thinks I'm doing good. Do you know what cripples me? If she's telling me, Peter, that wasn't good enough. If she's, and I've got to hear the realities. 
But if all I'm hearing is, it's eroding. I'm serious, it's eroding. Any guy will tell you this. So wives, if you want your husbands to be leaders, I'm not saying be unrealistic. You're a marvelous man. No, no. (laughs) Tell him the realities. But at the same time, don't go on and on. You'll erode his respect, and that will actually devalue him, and it will remove, it will sweep the carpet from under his feet. It will not empower him to be the leader that you're longing for to be. Husbands equally, you have to understand what God makes clear here is the wives have a basic need. The wives need to know security. They need to know that they're understood and loved. Your covering means the world to them. And if you're an absent husband, if you're a husband that abdicates responsibility and doesn't take the lead, then you're not providing any security for your wife. And that's not meeting one of her basic needs in life. It's like a, a pedal bike. It's like as husbands play their part, it empowers the wives to play their part. It empowers the husbands to play their part. It's like the husband's laying his life down and leading well inspires respect and submission from the wife. And as the respect comes, it empowers the husband to be a great leader. And like in the old pedal bikes, you know when you pedal backwards, it skids? Well, it's the same as well. If you go pedaling backwards, you know what? You're not leading well. I'm not going to respect you. Brakes are on. Or husbands, you're like, I've got no respect around you. I'm just, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm just going to get out with my mates and go to the pub. Brakes are on. You've got to play your part. You see, there's a foundation in marriage. Just simply playing our part makes a big difference. Here's the next foundation: foundation of exclusivity. Proverbs seven, verses eighteen to twenty. Come, let us drink our fill of love until the morning. This is an adulterous lady speaking to a guy. I, I, I mentioned this last week. Most of the verses in Proverbs put the lady in a bad light. All right? It's not because that's the way it usually is. It's just because Proverbs is written from a dad to his son. It's King Solomon writing to his son. So it's written from a male perspective. It's not because there's an a anti-feministic agenda. It's come, let's drink our fill of love until the morning. Let's delight ourselves in, with caresses. For my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey and he's taken a bag of money with him. And the full, uh, at the full moon, he will come home. This is a lady trying to seduce another man, saying, my husband's away. Come and we'll have love. We'll make love and we'll have adultery. This is what she's saying. But actually, a foundation in marriage is exclusivity. There's only the two of you in it. That's how it should be. If, if you get a third person involved, or other people start crowding for attention, then it's damaging to marriage. Put your spouse before others. Put your spouse before others. Put your spouse before your kids. You know, sometimes we make the wrong decision. We think we've got, really got to dedicate all our time and attention to our kids. And we see the tragic thing happening where <clears throat> couples have been together all their lives and, and, and then while well, the kids are growing up and then the kids go off to university or, or leave home and the couple are there and thinking, who are you? They've devoted their lives, they've poured everything into those kids. Now the kids have gone. And now the whole reason for their marriage isn't there anymore. Because they made their kids the priority. And that was never how it should have been. You see, folks, the love that brought that kid into the world in the first place, that love between the husband and wife that brought that kid into, the, into this world in the first place, is that same love that will not only bring the kid into the world, but that help the kid to grow through that world. Someone once said, the best thing a dad can do for his kid 
is love his mum. It's the best thing you could do. Actually, if you were to ask the kids, do you want dad to be nice to mum or do you want dad to spend time with you? I know what the answer would be. You see, there's something, if a kid knows mum and dad love each other, that is so important for the kid. Now, the fact is, kids of their very nature demand your time. They constantly poop themselves. They vomit everywhere. They are so hands-on kind of things. <clears throat> then they get through that stage and it gets a bit easier. But it, it, it really does demand your focus and attention to, to raise kids. But even especially after you've just had a kid, make sure, give time to each other. That is so, and you'll be tired. Nevertheless, give time to each other. Do not neglect your spouse. That is the love that brought the kid into the world, and that is the love as it continues that will cause that kid to flourish in this world. Best thing a dad can do for his kid is to love the kid's mum. Put your spouse before your friends. Sometimes we can show more politeness to people outside of the home than we can to our very spouse. We're all ratty and aggro with each other, then the phone rings. Oh, hi, how you doing? You hypocrite. Could you not have been that nice to your spouse who you're in a covenant with, who you've made a lifelong commitment to be loving to? And you're all, you're, you're like schizophrenic. Your buddy phones and you're all nicey-nicey. And sure, they're nice people. But this is your wife. This is your husband's. Let's not be hypocritical. Exclusivity. Exclusivity with your parents or outlaws. Sorry, in-laws. You know, sometimes their influence in a marriage can kill a marriage. And you've got to be really careful in that. And some cultures and some races, this is stronger than in other cultures and races. But I really want to encourage you, do not allow your parents or your in-laws to intervene in your marriage to the point where it's undermining your relationship with your husband or wife. I constantly hear stories of people who have almost, their marriage has almost fallen apart. And you know what the crazy thing is? Instead of the parents from both sides supporting and, come on, listen, work at it, get it together, sometimes the parents are saying, I knew he was a loser. Dip, dump him. Get rid of him. You can do better than that. That's sometimes what happens. Listen, you've got to guard your marriage. And sometimes the outlaws are not the best influences in that situation. Here's a very profound quote by Ken Dodd. Honolulu, it's got everything. Sand for the children, sun for the wife, and sharks for the wife's mother. So you've got to protect from the influence. Now, do you know what? They have got good advice. They have got good tips. But if they're constantly offering their advice, that could very much erode your spouse's ability to be a spouse. They think, well, when it, who, who you listen to, your mum or me? Come on. Uh, before any other allegiances, exclusivity to your wife counts more. You know, this whole thing that's kicked off in Kenya just now is absolutely horrendous. There are whole communities being split we have good friends in uh, Eldoret, uh, where the, a lot of the troubles were, who have gone through huge upheaval and turmoil during this time where <clears throat> there's tribalism, and it's, it's just horrendous. Churches have been split because of tribalism. I mean, come on, where do our allegiances lie? To Christ or to our t- human tribes? And you know, one of the most tragic stories, my friend Patrick, um, who's Kenyan, he, he was saying that his good friends in Eldoret a pastor. His wife just left him. And his wife just left him because she's not in the same tribe as he is. And his, her tribal leader had said, 
If you're married to someone from another tribe, leave them. You see, folks, there should be nothing more important than your marriage. That is your first allegiance, exclusivity. All other things are secondary. Tribalism, your backgrounds, your culture, any other things that are going on in your life, secondary. Your wife, your husband's exclusivity. Okay, next foundation is the foundation of forgiveness. Uh, Proverbs 17, verse 9. He who conceals a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. There's something about love that kind of looks over the wrongs. And sometimes at the beginning of a relationship, you're all starry eyed. You cannot see the problems. Yeah? You just can't, it's, everything's great. They're just so marvelous. They're perfect. I mean, that's, that, that's, that was what it was like with me and Angie. It's still like that for Angie. (laughs) You cannot see the faults in the other person because love has blinded you. Well, that's good. Let love continue to blind you. Let love just be the case where, you know what, you look, overlook the stuff. Sometimes little things that have always been there, to be honest, you just start noticing and they bug you. Get over it. Who cares if the guy leaves the toilet seat up? Right? And guys, who cares if she puts the loo roll on that way so it winds that way instead of that way? <laughs> Every time. Every time. But who cares? I'm not going to get a divorce over it. Close, but no. No, it's, it's just overlook it. Forgiveness? Very powerful. Very powerful. You see, in a chemical reaction, all it takes is one chemical to change and the reaction will stop. So you be the one to change. You be the one to back down. You be the one to say, I'm sorry. Humble yourself. Don't hold on to your pride. Don't dig your heels in. You're on the same side. Don't look at the problem like this and she's there and you're there. Get together and say, you know what? We're on the same side here. We're on the same team. Let's talk about this. So work on that. Easier said than done, but we've got to work on that. And listen, forgive and forget. I'd encourage you, if, if a matter's dealt with, don't raise it again. Just leave it. Forgive and forget, because that's what God does. God not only forgives, God's amazing. I mean, I'm a filthy sinner. And we are all sinners. But Jesus, when he died for us on the cross so we could be forgiven for sin, it says in the book of Psalms, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. He didn't say the north and the south because you could measure that. He said the east to the west. That's immeasurable. God has separated you from your past an eternal distance. Now that's how God, we should be like him. We should not only forgive, we should also forget. We should just choose not to raise it again. Why? Because we love let me also say this, this is a protection, bless you. Let me also say this is a protection for some of you. Love is given, but trust must be earned. Forgiveness is given, but trust must be earned. If your spouse has cheated on you or done something really rank, really below the belt, that you think, you know what, that was horrendous, how could you have? For, for that matter, if anyone does that to you, whether you're married to them or not, do you know what, it's good to forgive. That's a, that's a generous thing. That is a, that's an awesome thing. If you can show forgiveness, that is very, very courageous. 
if you can work on trying your hardest to forgive and express love again, that's priceless. That's being like God. But you know what? Trust must be earned. But just because you give forgiveness, it doesn't mean that you can offer them 100% trust. That's foolish. To say, oh, welcome back. Trust you like never, nothing happened. No, no, that's not even, that's not biblical. You see, forgiveness is given. Love is given. But trust must be earned. And that's the same with God. You know, God will test us in the way we are in life. He didn't just give us all the responsibility we ever wanted. There are stages. But we've got to we realize, you don't, just because you forgive someone, it doesn't mean you've instantly got to have them back in your life in the same way that they used to be. Things have changed and they need to prove themselves a little bit. That's okay. But let them know that they are forgiven. Just let them know the score. I think that's important. Okay, foundation of communication. Proverbs 27, verse 5. Better open rebuke than love concealed. Better open rebuke than love concealed. That's a profound thought. In other words, the Bible is saying, you might as well go and rebuke someone to their face than feel love for them and not tell them. Yet sometimes, the husband and wife do not communicate love. You know, that, that book... The Five Love Languages. It's, it's a, quite a profound book. It, it narrows down communication to us. We all kind of speak in five general ways. There's different types of love language. For some of you, it's touch. Yeah, you, when someone touches you, when someone hugs you, if you get a kiss, that just means the world to you. It really communicates love to you. For others of you, it's acts of kindness. For others of you, it's presence. You, you get presence. Oh, I'm loved. For others of you, it's just those words. I love you. That's it. Now imagine you fell in love with someone who's from Norway, right? Imagine, okay, Louise. Imagine, Louise, you fell in love with some big, tall Norwegian guy called Han. Is it Han a Norwegian? Give me a Norwegian name. Hans. What? Steek. Steek. Okay. You, you've fallen in love with Steek. He's a big Norwegian guy. Hello, I'm Steek. He will say, I love you. Now, Steek speaks Norwegian. He speaks Norwegian. For Louise to express love to Steek, she would have to learn Norwegian. You understand? She would have to learn his language. So in, in Norwegian, she could say, And he says, Oh, thank you. And he gets it. And for him to express love to her, he's going to have to, Where are you from? St. Andrews, okay? He's going to have to learn English. <clears throat> He's going to have to learn English. He's going to have to learn how to express in love. In her language. But you know what? We, we probably all speak English in this, in this room. The fact is we sometimes can't communicate. Because although we don't speak foreign languages, in terms of love languages, we often do. So what happens is this. My love language, I, I like being told I'm loved I like getting physical attention. I love that. So do you know what I do? I give that to Angie. I tell her all the time, Angie, I love you. And I give her lots of hugs. <laughs> but you know the crazy thing is, sometimes when she's upset, she'll say, Peter, I just don't feel you love me. You're not communicating you love me. I, think, I kiss you all the time. I tell you I love you all the time. Give me tons of hugs. I'm thinking I'm speaking, but I'm, I'm speaking in my own language. She doesn't, she never understand it. She doesn't get it. It's two different languages. Her language is entirely different. 
She speaks a totally different language to me. And do you know what I've got to do? I've got to learn how she communicates love. And then I've got to learn to say love to her the way she communicates it. And one of the big signposts to how she communicates love is the way she communicates love to me. So she does tons of stuff for me. She, if I'm going out somewhere, she'll make me a packed lunch. She'll plan everything in detail. I couldn't care, to be honest. <laughs> I'll just turn up. And like, yeah, just throw some stuff together. What are we doing? Are we going to holiday today? Yeah, fine, let's go. You know, that's the way I do things. She is so different. But the way she, she likes planning everything, she likes having everything in place. And, right, and I should take that as a signpost. She likes that. Ah, so I do those things and she feels loved. And if she looked at how I communicate love to her, it might be a big signpost on how she could love me. She'd be all over me. Mm, she'd be all over me. And I would get it. So communication is a biggie. It's tough. Here's another thing. I didn't realize this until I was married. Statistically, according to a study carried out by Harvard, women speak 25,000 words a day. Men only speak 10,000 words a day. This is really funny. Because come the end of our working day, we've done our 10,000s. But they're not, they're not even halfway through, folks. They're not even halfway through. Now, this came as a shock to me. It really did. That <laughs> she's, she's ready to talk now. You know, sometimes Angie says to me, uh, Peter, I'd like to talk about a few things tonight. <laughs> How many guys? That sends shivers down your spine. No. It's the, it's like she's saying someone's died. It's, it's like, can't we just chill out and watch the telly? Man, tell you, there's a big thing going on with communication here. So, and you know what, guys, if you don't get over yourself and start learning to listen and take it, do you know what? I actually enjoy coming home and talking there. I, I do. I say, how's your day been? Tell me all about, oh, and how's so-and-so doing? And I'll remember all the details she told me the day before, and I'll, I'll talk about it. I can, I can beat her now. I can do 30 <laughs> words a day. 30 words a day. <laughs> Proverbs 18, verse 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it eat its fruit. I don't care how heated your argument gets, right? Guard it. I don't, care how you, I don't care how passionate you feel about something. Don't say those things. Sometimes we're naive and we say things to get an effect. We say things to express a point. But the literal things we say, we don't really mean that. People say things like, I'll leave you. What? I thought you were in a covenant. Get a grip. That's till death do you part, mate. So don't you go saying that word. Because those words, once they're out, they're out. If you go saying things, that can create a lot of damage. You guard your words. Because death and life are in the power of the tongue. So guard those words. Speak wisely. Speak good things. Speak positively. Speak encouragingly. Here are the top ten reasons for divorce in the USA. Number one, communication. Bad communication. It tops them all. Number two, sexual unfaithfulness. Number three, financial trouble. Number four, sexual incompatibility. Number five, poor relationships with friends and family. Number six, drug and alcohol abuse or addiction. Number seven, different recreational interests. She likes badminton. I like PlayStation. 
It's a big one. It's a serious one. Number eight, disagreement on children about how to raise the kids and, and things like that. Number nine, worldly attitudes in marriage. Number 10, no or poor spiritual input in that marriage. No spirituality. Next foundation is the foundation of respect. Uh, uh, two, two people were in a, in a train, on a long-distance train, and it was a sleeper train. And it was quite embarrassing because they didn't know each other, and they thought they had a room by themselves, but here they were in a room sharing, and they were not married. So they had bunks. So they kind of got over the awkwardness, and they went to sleep. Anyway, in the middle of the night, she leans over and says to the guy, Psst, sorry to interrupt you. I'm really cold up here. Could you blast me a blanket? And the guy leaned out and says, I've got a better idea. How about, he said with a glint in his eye, how about we pretend we're married? And she giggled and said, okay. So he replied, get your own stupid blanket. Isn't that tragic? <laughs> that over the years we lose respect, but you know what? That person deserves your respect all the days of your life. Show respect. Of all people, that's the person you should respect. Proverbs 12:4. An excellent wife is a crown of her husband, but she who shames him is like rottenness to the bones. Don't go talking negatively about your husband to anyone. Don't put him down in public. That's the worst thing you can do. Don't put him down even when he's not there. It, it spiritually, in the spiritual realm, it damages things. Proverbs 31, verse 10 and verse 23. A wife of noble character, who can find she is worth far more than rubies. Her husband is respected in the city gate and he takes his seat among the elders in the land. There's something about this excellent wife who empowers her husband to be that man who deserves respect. And you know, in that marriage... Don't you ever go abusing. Don't you ever go raising your hands. Never. None of this emotional abuse. That is unacceptable. Husbands or wives. No physical, sexual, emotional or verbal abuse in your marriage. Cut it out. Get a grip. No abuse. That's unacceptable. You show respect in your marriage. You show love and tenderness in your marriage. And sure you don't raise a hand. But you manipulate emotionally. Get a grip and cut it out. You're off track in your thinking. It's time to show some respect to your spouse. I'm serious. And there's a lot of people suffering in marriage because of the abuse. And that's the place where you should be safest. You should have respect in your marriage. Not abuse. Not slander. And certainly not physical abuse. If you men raise your wife to your husband, raise your Raise your fist to your husband's. <laughs> what? I'm trying to make a strong point. If you husbands raise your, raise your fists against your wives, you're a disreputable man. You're an uncourageous man. You're a weak man. Get a grip. Become a real man. Right? Cut that out. That is totally and utterly abysmal. You should be totally ashamed of yourself. You should be repenting, and you should be asking your wife's forgiveness, and you will have to earn her trust back. That is horrendous. 
And if you're emotionally manipulating your husband or vice versa, you are doing something that's totally unacceptable in the context of marriage. Completely, I don't care if no one else is there. God sees. And he will hold you responsible for how you treat your spouse. So show utmost respect and love in marriage. And wives, please don't nag. It is very eroding. Proverbs 19 verses. Guys, say amen. (laughs) Or homie. Proverbs 19 verses 13 to 14. A foolish son is a destruction to his father. And the contentious wife, or nagging wife, are constant dripping. Anyone had that dripping tap? It is the most annoying thing, trying to get sleeping. Man, a constant dripping. A nagging wife. I tell you, it's eroding. It's eroding. And it's, it's like, you know what happens? It's like there's an electric window between you, and as soon as you start, it's... <laughs> you ain't even listening, so there's no point. And all it does is erodes. So cut it out. Cut it out. Respect. In heaven, there were two lines of people trying to get in, into heaven this day, and there was headings over the front of the lines. One line said, men who were bossed by their wives. And then the other one, it said, men who were not bossed by their wives. In front of the line saying men who were bossed by their wives, there's a colossal queue of guys right as far as the horizon could see, right? Right away. And then there was one guy standing at the men who were not bossed by their wives. So St. Peter came over to them and said to the one guy, why are you here and everyone else is there? He said, my wife told me to. I did. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, the foundation of passion. The foundation of passion. Proverbs 5 and verses 15 to 19. Drink water from your own cistern, fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad and your streams in the streets, let them be yours alone and not the stranger with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. The Bible encourages us to have a foundation marriage of passion. And that should be sexual passion. Sex should be a regular, energetic, creative, awesome part of your marriage. It will help divorce-proof your marriage. It will meet your emotional needs. And I want to encourage husbands and wife, bless each other with that on a regular basis. It will bless your marriage. It will really build a strength into your marriage. But also, it's a lot more than just sex. Passion is spontaneity. It's being creative. It's, it's truly enjoying each other. It's going on dates. It's doing the things you did at the beginning. All that will help bless your marriage. Why not go on another honeymoon? Why not get a babysitter and go out on a date? You think, oh, I can't afford it. Well, it doesn't need to cost that much. Some of the best dates, you just buy a bag of chips and sit at the beach, right? It's just getting that time. It's making that time. It's putting that injection of passion into your marriage. And that takes effort mentally. It takes planning. It's important. Finally, the foundation of faith. This is an important foundation for any marriage. You see, firstly, this foundation means that you believe in God. Because God is the author of life. And if you want the life of God in your life and in your marriage, put him first. Not somewhere on the shelf, not just in your Sundays, but let him be your God. Let him be the object of your worship, the object of your adoration. 
Let him be your God. Let him be the God who leads you. Pray lots. It will protect your marriage. It totally does. Pray, pray, pray. Put God first. But also, I wanted to encourage you to have the foundation of faith in terms of believe for the best marriage. In this world, do you know what? We've thought that the statistics tell us that marriage is doomed to failure. That's what we think the statistics are saying. It is not what the statistics say. It isn't. Statistics will teach you, if you look at them really, that actually marriage is the best way to enjoy love with one person for the rest of your days. So don't let the the wrong statistics put fears in your hearts. But believe for the best. And sure, we've all got history. And sure, we've, you know, we've got a lot of regrets. But today, look forward. Believe for the best. Why can't your marriage be the marriage you dreamt of? Why can't it be awesome? Why can't it be great? Rick Warren quoted a statistic from the Marriage and Divorce magazine. My question is, who would read that? (laughs) Anyway, Rick Warren does. The Marriage and Divorce magazine discovered that one out of every three marriages ends in divorce. But when the couple is married in a church ceremony, is attending church regularly, they pray and read the Bible together, then the chances of the divorce drop to one out of every 1,105. Now, that's not the statistic you usually hear, but that's accurate. You see, when God, and it's not just those rituals that will help you. It's, it's active involvement of the Almighty in your lives that will totally bless and build your marriage. The blue macaws are the largest parrots, and they can live to some 60 years old. <clears throat> the blue macaws, when they find their partner, they're with that partner till the day they die. And then, if a blue macaw loses a partner, then another couple take that widowed macaw in to its nest. That's how life should be. It should be till death do its part. It should be you and another for life. Now, we've all got history. But please stand with me in agreement that, you know what? That's what we're going for. And that's what we're going to work. And that's what we're, we've got to change our culture. Our, do you know what? Dangerously, our culture's not going that way. And I believe that's potentially incredibly dangerous for kids. It's dangerous for the legacy this, this culture's going to experience. It's dangerous for the heritage. It's dangerous for the economy. It's dangerous in so many fronts, folks. Marriage is God's way. Family is God's way. It's blessed. It's protected. It's safe. And it enhances the human race more than anything else. So let's go for that one. Let's fight for that one. Let's give that one everything we've got. And then let's look after those who are widowed or divorced. Let's do everything we can to support them, love them, provide them a home. Because we're living in a fatherless generation. We're living in a society where there are kids growing up without dads. Do you know what? Church is an awesome environment where we can meet the emotional, social needs of so many. Where else do you get so many people from such a wide variety of backgrounds, different social classes, age groups, and cultures coming together in one place? That's awesome. It's a, it's a nurturing environment where people can flourish. Let's pray. God, we want to thank you so much for the concept of marriage that is your idea. God, this whole idea that two people could get married and be blessed of you all their days is an awesome concept. God, I I know full well, God, in this room, there are many with deep regrets and they're thinking, if only. 
But God, today we've got to look forward, and I pray that for each person in this auditorium, no matter where they're at on this journey, they would build well for the future, and they would help the next generation build well for the future. Thank you, God, for the foundations found in your Bible that truly help enhance and build strong marriage. I pray, God, give us the privilege as a church to be a church with strong marriages, that not just enjoy that for the sake of ourselves, but that we would become a blessing to our city. We love this city, God. We love this city, whether they call themselves religious or unreligious, and we want to do everything we can to bless this culture with the existence of this church. We thank you for the other churches in the city who are doing the same, God. Okay, just take a moment to make your response to God. Pray back your response to God. If you, if you realize, man, we've, we've let a foundation shift in our marriage, then talk to God about it. Maybe uh, tonight you're here and you don't have a relationship with God. I'm not, I don't mean that you don't go to church. Maybe you do. It's not the issue. The issue is, do you have a relationship with God? At the beginning, I said that God shed his blood on that cross so that you could come into a relationship with him. Not to make you religious, but that you could come into an authentic, living relationship with the God who made you through Jesus Christ. If you're saying, Peter, I want that relationship, then I have to say to you that 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 relationship is the foundation for every other relationship. That is the underpinning thing that will guide you through every challenge of life, your relationship with God. So I urge you, consider your relationship with God just now. And just as we close and we're about to do baptisms, why not make your relationship with God clear? And what I'm going to do is this. If you're here and you're saying, Peter, I want to make sure I'm in the right place with God. I want to know his forgiveness. I want to enter into this commitment with God. I want to enter into this covenant with God. I want my life to be in relationship with the Almighty. I want to follow him. If that's you, then I'm going to do a simple thing. I'm going to, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I invite you, if, if you want to make that response to God, that you pray this prayer with me. Repeat it after me. A line at a time quietly under your breath not out loud this is not about who he is this is between you and God if you want to make that commitment pray with me now pray dear Lord God I want to thank you so much for your love for me thank you God you demonstrated this love by sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sins God I acknowledge that without you I'm lost And I ask you forgiveness for all my sins. And Jesus, thanks. On the third day, you rose again. And today, I choose to become your follower. I pledge my allegiance to you, God. Jesus, I make you number one in my life. I make you the Lord the king, the boss in my life.
Thanks, God, for hearing my prayer. Amen. Okay, keep your eyes closed. Keep your eyes closed for a moment. I would love the privilege. If you prayed that prayer there, if you made that commitment to God, you've just done a marvelous thing, and God has heard your prayer. Can I just have a privilege? I would love the opportunity to pray for you. If you prayed that prayer, and you made that commitment between you and God, then I'm going to ask you to do a simple thing. While everyone else's eyes are closed, I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm not going to draw attention to you. I'm not going to get you to stand up, anything like that. Just simply where you are. If you prayed that prayer and you know you made that commitment to God, then I would love to pray for you. And in order to know who you are, I'm just going to ask you to very simply raise your hand and put it down again. Is there anyone like that tonight? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? You prayed that prayer and you want me to pray for you. Just put your hand up and I'll pray for you. Thanks. Anyone else? God, I thank you for this wonderful bunch of people tonight who have said to you that they're serious about their relationship with you. God, I thank you that you've heard their prayers. They've asked you forgiveness. Thank you, God, you're only too delighted to grant it. It's the very reason you came, Jesus. I pray, God, in this moment, they will know God's total forgiveness. As far as the east is from the west, thank you. You have separated their past from them, their sins. Lord, I pray tonight that you'd fill them with the power of your love and help them today, from this day forward, to walk with you. God, I pray, help them to get plugged into a good church where they can grow in their faith where week after week they can learn about you and walk with you. Thank you, this is not just a one-off decision, but God, this is a life they're embarking on. Help them to walk with courage into their future, serving you. And like those who are going to get baptized in a moment, give them the courage to now get baptized as believers, taking that great step of walking with you and following in your footsteps. Bless them, God. Thank you now that they have eternal life because they've put their faith in you. Thank you that they're forgiven. Thank you, you've accepted them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. We're just going to worship God.